0: welcome to the meta woman podcast we address the issues opportunities and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse the biggest revolution since the internet itself every week we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries here's your host lindsay the boss poss the meta woman podcast starts now hello and welcome to the meta woman podcast part of the holodeck media podcast network I'm your host, Lindsay the Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To all the returning listeners, thank you so much for joining me on this podcasting journey. And for all the new listeners out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you'll stick around and listen to more. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. Uh, I was actually connected to her through a previous guest, May Mahbub, so everyone should go back and listen to the episode The interview I did with May. Jackie Cooper is the owner of Crypto Mom 2, where she has a talk show and does Bitcoin consulting. She's also the author of Bitcoin Cinderella, which we will discuss later in the show. Jackie, I think I covered about 15% of what you do, so I would love for you to introduce yourself tell everyone what you're working on now and fill in any gaps or things I might have missed. Yeah, no, I appreciate
1: that. Um, my background's very diverse. I have a very non-traditional career. So it's easy sometimes to just like you with your, what you're doing to kind of let a few things slip. And that's fine. My background's law. I love being a lawyer, but I did navigate about 17 years ago into the education field. And so became a special educator and nationally board certified. And I'm also a mom. So, I mean, all of this kind of combined and um, fuels my passion in the blockchain area. And so that's kind of how I ended up consulting because I saw that there was a need and I was feeling the need within me. And then I realized others had similar things too.
0: That makes sense. Can you tell me actually a little bit about what types of consulting you do and, and what types of people you work with? Anything you can share, of course, don't have to share but
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so um, cryptomom2.com is the website so if anyone is interested in reaching out to me um, I'm happy to talk with you I consult on a variety of things as a lawyer I'm very interested in making sure that everyone has a solid game plan. Um, again, anything that we're talking about today is not legal advice, not financial advice. It's all you know background information, especially when you're dealing with the blockchain and cryptocurrency. But I'm very concerned always when individuals say that they haven't updated their will or they don't have a will, they don't have an estate plan, especially because when you are navigating the cryptocurrency or the blockchain area, everything's online. And if you don't tell your family and you don't tell them how to access certain things, it's not intuitive. So I'm all about, as a consultant, how do you organize your information? On the flip side, you have the good information that you're organizing, but sometimes your identity gets hacked so or your crypto gets hacked. And so I'm there helping in that side too, because I'm also a certified cryptocurrency investigator. So it's both sides. And I also have a team of individuals that are in the accounting area and the law area. So depending upon what the individual or the business needs are, the nonprofit needs, if you're looking at trying to add cryptocurrency to your fundraising platform. So as I see the, the needs for where people are learning, I'm trying to learn so I can know how to have a larger toolbox to help people with what their needs are.
0: How does one become certified to be a cryptocurrency investigator?
1: There's an organization that um, actually does the certification, and there's many, many modules of training that you go through. They had developed a platform which actually blockchain is, even though it's anonymous, it's traceable. Everything can be seen on the blockchain. If let's say a certain cryptocurrency gets hacked. And we know the starting wallet, we can see where it's traveled to and where it ends up. And depending upon where it ends up, then that's where law enforcement might be able to grab it. Again, not without certain legal things going on. So there are a number of ways that someone can become certified. Um, I chose this organization because of the fact that they were created by retired law enforcement. They are very reputable. So, um, you know, I and I also... I've encountered two individuals who had lost cryptocurrency, and I didn't know how to help them. So I decided I need to kind of be able to um, have another avenue of support for those clients that might come that way.
0: That makes sense. I also wanted to And we will walk back to how you got into crypto and all that, but the will or creating a will is something that we talked about in a previous conversation, because I am someone who has not thought about it. And you have totally convinced me that it's super important. If everything is done by facial recognition and I'm no longer there, then it's quite difficult to open up anything. So um, can you backtrack? And I would love for you to give, you know, the kind of the top reasons why you tell people to have a will which I think you did already but just in case there was anything that isn't there and then how you actually walk through helping people set it up
1: so there's a few things if you're single if you're married newly married if you're a family you know whatever age you are we're all acquiring assets whether the assets are a bike or a house or a dog or whatever or crypto. And sometimes we don't think about how we want it to be distributed when we are gone. But also, we also don't always have a medical power of attorney in place. And I think that's what COVID taught us is that you cannot always be with those that you love if you don't have the paperwork in place. And so tomorrow is never promised. I'm not trying to be a downer. I procrastinate for sure. But you can't on certain things, you can't procrastinate. You've just got to Put something in place. You can always amend it, update it. And so that's for you to make the choice. So the state doesn't make the choice. The government doesn't make the choice. And I'm all about legislation and government. But I also think that if you don't have something in place, then your wishes aren't heard. And it's very important that everyone take a stand as to what they want, because it's your life and you're living it. And so, and you're creating those assets that you might not even realize that you have. So that's really important. So in terms of how I help, part of the challenge I faced when I was a new lawyer is I really don't like the idea of billable hours. I always was focusing on how do I help the person or get the project done. And the idea that I had to bill 10 hours at a certain hourly rate was just bothersome to me because I just wanted to focus on achieving the goal for the person. So I have partnered um, and become an, even though I am licensed in DC as a lawyer, I've become an associate with prepaid legal. So individuals who come to me are then part of my network of customers within prepaid legal, and they are then assigned a, a reputable law firm within their state and i can help guide them for a flat monthly rate of 30 dollars a month which is really affordable you're not being paid an hour you're not being charged an hourly rate you can get a will done medical power of attorney all contracts reviewed there's a whole laundry list of legal services that i think everyone needs to be thinking about because almost everything that we touch has a legal basis to it every terms and conditions that we click in online Is a law contract and how many of us actually read that? Probably not. So again, when I have a client uh, and I'm consulting, I take a look at the whole picture of what they need and then I'm able to provide them with the tools that they need. And I view prepaid legal as one of the tools, you know, obviously if you need a specialized lawyer in a certain area, I have another attorney that's a blockchain attorney and, you know, again, then I'll recommend him to that client because, again, if you have a specialized need, it's just like doctors. You can have a general practitioner or a specialist. The same thing with law, too.
0: That makes sense. And I know that we talked about before, but one of the biggest crossovers with crypto is making sure that passwords are stored, that wallets don't just become Cold and dead. <laughs> um, giving those access to those assets to to people who should have access to them is important. Which that was a great point because I would not have thought of that. I would love to, and I intended on starting with this, but we just rolled right in. But I would love to take a step back and talk about where you started because I know that you mentioned your law background, how you you transitioned into being a special needs educator. So what has made you want to pursue crypto in what is probably very limited free time or what brought you into the business of crypto? Yeah. So
1: I had always been curious about it, which is kind of interesting to me because I've never been curious about traditional finance. That just has been, to me, for some reason, stocks boring, mutual funds boring. I don't know why. Couldn't agree more on that point. (laughs) (laughs) But as soon as I heard about cryptocurrency, I was very intrigued, both because of the philosophy behind it, you know, in terms of like with Bitcoin being a peer-to-peer type of exchange and being independent of banks and other traditional structures, even though a lot of those traditional structures and businesses are now becoming involved with the cryptocurrency space. The more I learned about blockchain and the uses within blockchain for information exchange, for financial use, you know, just a variety of things, information storing, I realized the technology was brilliant and it was the next level of where we were going online. About four years ago, I found a mentor in Scotland. And um, so another woman who I was able to ask all these questions and I felt then comfortable to take the first step to invest in an altcoin. And after that, you know, I just kind of kept going and I started Crypto Mom 2 talk show because of my own personal journey, I realized that even though I'm very well educated, this was not intuitive. I was struggling to open up certain platforms and I was nervous about certain things. And so I realized just like me, others probably were experiencing it. And so I wanted to, uh, and being an educator, I realized I needed to learn this for the next generation. I had to do it in order to be able to teach it. So that's what I did. And so the talk show ended up allowing me to kind of talk to people all around the world in every space from Bitcoin mining, of which I am a Bitcoin miner, to NFTs, to the metaverse, you name it. I am talking to people um, in every nook and cranny of the globe. And the creativity is just brilliant. So there are always things you have to be aware of because there are always There can always be in every industry scams, but there's also some very solid work that's going on. And this is a career path for many people that are coming up and career switching.
0: So cool. When did you kind of find this mentor and really start sinking in, I guess, to the world of crypto here?
1: So I'm really a serial entrepreneur in so many ways. If I find something I like, I become an affiliate or I get involved in it. So I met her actually because of my love of travel. I'm a certified travel consultant because I love taking trips around the world, especially with my daughter, but I wanted to travel wholesale. So it made sense for me to become a, um, a travel agent. And so as a result, I met my friend, who's overseas. And then one thing led to another because of our mutual interests. And that's how I ended up going down that Avenue, you know, because of her talking about what she was doing. I thought, Hmm, let me learn more.
0: That's so cool. I'm also just amazed at how many things you can become certified in. I had no idea. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Certifications. Great way to learn and do. Uh, So I wanted to dig into a little more about the talk show and just, podcasting is something that as I sink more into it, I find to actually be something that's pretty interesting to discuss. So how did you get into hosting and the talk show and the podcast that you have?
1: I actually have four talk shows. One of them is sort of kind of on hold at the moment, but um, the one that's on hold is actually a virtual career day uh, talk show. And I was thinking about starting that when COVID happened, because as a teacher, I know that we always have career days. And I thought, you know, other schools were going to need that, The other two talk shows is Jay Cooper Travels and Love Travel Scotland. And I started the Love Travel Scotland because of my friend who's in Scotland. And then I have the Crypto Mom too. So I started each one of these to share information about what I love to do and to kind of share what other people are doing as well. So it's been a lot of fun.
0: Uh, Have you had a lot of feedback from the crypto community? I feel like podcasts are one of the kind of main ways that people get their ideas out there? How have you been able to build and grow listeners and audiences and... And what has that kind of evolution been like, you know, from first show to now? So it's been very
1: interesting. I mean, across all my social media network, I have about 20,000 followers and connections and it's growing, but it's always a journey. It grows authentically, you know, because people will share out when you interview them, they'll share it out to their network. And then people also will ask questions and I reach out to people to interview them. And that leads to another whole, you know, reference of a different topic or maybe a new person. So it's been a lot of fun because I, I like talking to people and I like also providing education and resources to people, both in the cryptocurrency space as well as any other space. And I have gotten a lot of support. There are a lot of women in blockchain, but you might not always think about that because they might not be the face. They might be behind the scenes. That wasn't always the case. And uh, just like, you know, with engineers or law or other professions, you know, the numbers have been changing in terms of the number of investors. I'm not really quite sure how many women investors there are versus men. Everyone who I've talked to have have been very supportive and they all want to share their story. I want to have their story shared because not everyone follows
0: the same path
1: and I want individuals to be inspired by others because they can do it too.
0: Well, I love that this kind of, that kind of leads into my next little question here, because I don't know exactly what the term is, but I would say podcasting has become sort of a meme at this point. Uh, There's lots of jokes about people starting podcasts or people having podcasts. Uh, I was actually listening to a different one. Um, I also feel like there's people who listen to a ton of podcasts and people who are like, I don't get it. And I am in the, I listen to a ton of podcasts category. (laughs) Um, But I once heard a host say there's not enough podcasts in the world until each person has a way to share their voices, their stories, their perspective. That's actually something I tend to agree with because you might not be creating a product that is going to have 7 million listeners and huge sponsorships, but sometimes it's, it's almost like a way of journaling. Um, When I was in middle school, we had Zanga for all the millennials out there. Um, And so it's almost like a way of of live journaling that even if nobody else listens to you, yourself can look back on and see how you were thinking and feeling at that time. I think for a lot of women out there, there's definitely an imposter syndrome element of, oh, I shouldn't be starting a podcast or I don't have the right stuff for it. Um, But what would you suggest to someone who's looking to kind of get more into crypto and tech through starting a podcast as given that you have you know, four different shows that you manage and what would you say to someone who was thinking about kind of getting into that? One of the things I'm very careful about on my talk shows, maybe not so much
1: on the Jay Cooper Travels or the Love Travel Scotland, because that's not um, travel and, and talking about careers and things like that. It's not as dangerous as talking about crypto. And what I mean by danger is that you have to be careful about your opinion and about giving financial advice, because this is a very volatile area. And when you start a talk show, you might become an influencer. And when you become an influencer, people will take what you say as gospel or not. But again, you have to be very careful about sharing information and sharing quote unquote facts and how you present it. So that way it is part of the information that people will digest Decide on, and I'm always, you know, cautious about people as to what they invest. Meaning that I don't want anyone to put their mortgage money into, you know, thinking that Bitcoin's going to go up. It can also go down. So you really have, like anything else, you know, it's a market that goes up and down. And it, this should be discretionary funds. It should not be. Um, this should be the the money that you spend at Starbucks for coffee, not so much something that you need for food. You know, so you really um, and so when you start a talk show, you have to be careful about the opinions that you share and the information you share. And even when I interview people in my talk show, you know, again, these are guests who are presenting their business. And sometimes I do endorse or suggest that this is a good business. But you, you still have to be careful because just like the major platforms like Celsius and some of the other platforms in the, the crypto space, they went down. There are bankruptcies that happen. There are hacks that happen. There are, when money gets moved from, when I say money, meaning crypto gets moved from one platform to another. That can be like a, a puzzle piece that kind of creates a domino effect. There, There's so many pieces to this industry. It's hard to know it all because it's evolving so fast. So i if anyone is interested in starting a podcast, go for it. But when you are starting it, be careful about what you're saying. Do your research, and know that people do listen to what you say. So you have to be careful about what you're saying. in this, you know, in other topics, maybe not so much, but in this industry, you have to be very careful.
0: Spoken like a true lawyer. <laughs> from from the kind of um, logistical perspective, like as you've grown and, and built up your career more in, in media and social media and talk shows and all of that. Is there, um, any advice you can give to other people who are looking to kind of do more of that? Anything you wish you had known when you started that, you know, now or things that were successful or weren't? I feel we all have a
1: responsibility to share our knowledge, the good and the bad with others because not everyone will listen to what we've done, but it's sort of is like, you know, as a parent, you want to tell your child, well, I did that. It didn't work out, but they have to kind of experience it on their own before they'll listen to you. But sometimes our experiences can help someone else. And so I think that that is education through media is very important. You know, i go back to the idea of fact-checking and just making sure that what you say is, you know, it, that there's, there's some information behind it that's solid even though it's sometimes hard to tell what's solid. I guess, you know, looking back, I'm really happy um, with how my career has has evolved. I mean, I not everyone is like me, I'm a risk taker. I know that's not true for some people need more solid career paths and things like that, but I like exploring new areas. And I guess, you know, for anyone else too, be a lifelong learner. There's so much, so much out there to learn. And what you stumble on and share might be what someone else needs to hear. So that's also a really great thing to keep in mind.
0: All great pieces of advice for people out there. Um, I definitely want to kind of build on this and, and you have your hand in so many things in crypto, but let's talk about kind of the future and what you're thinking about and what you're talking about. So what makes you excited about the future of crypto are you, you said that you were not enamored with TradFi, but maybe DeFi is really interesting. What kind of lanes really pique your interest at the moment?
1: So, um, one of the things that I decided to do last December that has just fueled my passion and area of interest is I started writing. And I ended up writing a book called The Bitcoin Cinderella, which is a lot of fun. And it's actually a Cinderella story, but it incorporates the blockchain terminology. And it's the first of about 10 different books that I'm writing. Uh, this fall, I'm writing two more. One is about NFTs. The other is about Bitcoin mining. And they're being translated into different languages. And they're being sold both on Amazon as well as different bookstores are looking at, at having them as well. As an educator, I realized there wasn't a, a tool out there for families to have a conversation With their youth and so, um, or even to learn for themselves. So I wanted to create something that was both fun to read and kind of light, but still had some education embedded within it. And so for me, that is where I see my future extension going because I I love to travel and so incorporated within the books are different locations. So the NFT book actually is going to be based in Scotland and uh, my friend is going to have a character in there. I'm going to write her in.
0: That's so fun, by the
1: way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The Bitcoin Cinderella is going to actually kind of mesh into a Scottish fairy tale. So it's going to be, each of the books will be a fairy tale, but um, she's going to be meeting fairies and other creatures of that realm. But at the same time, she's going to be teaching and learning about NFTs. The Bitcoin mining book, I haven't quite decided which country it's going to kind of evolve into. But again, each book will have pictures from that area. And it Another reason for me to go out and travel, so I can take some live pictures to embed in the books.
0: Super cool. Are there? I know you mentioned NFTs and Bitcoin mining. Are there uh, certain kind of aspects of crypto that excite you? Um, For example, I'm a huge DAO fan. I really like organizations. (laughs) I'm not a. People always say like, "Oh, what are you investing in?" I'm like, I'm not investing in anything. I'm like on a bunch of like message boards, like talking to other people about stuff. Like, you know, I'm I'm in like an NBA DAO and a peer. DAO for health and wellness, like all kinds of stuff. Like I love, I love DAOs. I love decentralized autonomous organizations. Is there kind of an element that you're really into? Are you like, you know, are you a Bitcoin maximalist? Are you really interested and intrigued by the NFT market? Are you into DeFi? Like what's your kind of, what are your little passion points within crypto?
1: I definitely love Bitcoin. I mean, I, um, the more that I've learned about the, the blockchain, the more I have a deep respect for what Bitcoin stands for. I respect what Ethereum did too, though, in creating an alternative way for all these other organizations to live and thrive, which Bitcoin wasn't able to do because it just had a different purpose. I don't know that I have one passion area because I'm learning about all these organizations and I'm trying to keep up, which is very hard because you have fashion in the metaverse. You have products that you can actually buy. You have avatars. I'm trying to learn also the laws that are involved with all this because a lot of the the intellectual property and the copyright law, I mean, the contracts, it's just amazing how the traditional world then gets applied over here. So I think that there's so much going on. I haven't really, kind. I feel like a snow globe. I haven't really settled yet, you know, Uh I feel like like I'm just, yeah, I just kind of feel like I'm floating all over right now, which is fine. And I think as I do the research for the various books, I'm going to be learning more about each separate area and about the organizations and the people involved in that. And that's what's exciting to me, because again, there's so much crossover.
0: I will say I am... Kind of fully sunk into this world, but I feel like I still understand about thirty percent of the lingo. And I'm sure, you know, throwing out information about DAOs is not going to be familiar to everyone, and definitely not. <laughs> I actually, I, I there was one morning I texted my husband. I said, "Oh my gosh, the Lazarus Group was behind the Axie Infinity hack," and he texted back, "I don't know what any of those words mean." <laughs> it's like, okay, we're in very different corners of the internet. I guess uh, good to know. Good to know. Um, but. Speaking of that, part of the issues with blockchain, cryptocurrencies, crypto in general is adoption. And I say this and I'm someone who still feels very uncomfortable using my MetaMask wallet to make transactions. So, I mean, I just opened a MetaMask wallet like a month ago and I'm someone who's been thinking about cryptocurrencies and involved in communities for over a year now and learning the lingo and doing all this stuff. And yet still, you know, I struggle with Actually, applying that to something that can be beyond me just Googling terms and talking to people. So, as an educator, I guess what is the path forward for getting more people on board? How do you think that's going to happen? And what kind of pacing do you think there will be? So,
1: those are really good, great questions. And that's exactly why I wrote the Bitcoin Cinderella. It's for the quote unquote mass adoption. But I think that whether it's my book or other books, books are not what's going to really make the difference here. What's making the difference is the companies that are in this space realize that there's a lot of friction. And when I talk about friction, it means that to move one of the cryptocurrency altcoins an altcoin is something that's not a Bitcoin for those that might not know. To move an altcoin to, you know, from one place to another, it sort of is like a different lane. It sort of is like on the highway. You need an access lane. So, you know, like when I tried to use Pancake Swap, that was not a very friendly platform. So, I think that what's going to happen is that as people are struggling, everyone who's involved in this, they're constantly problem solvers. They're thinking about, okay, what problem did they have, and how do they solve it? And that's where I think the change is going to happen. Companies are starting to make both the NFT world and the point of sales. You know, They're thinking about how do I make this easier for businesses or individuals to do transactions or obtain coins that might be considered an investment or security, depending upon where you are and what country and that type of thing, because there's all these definitions. So I think that The more that there is this global conversation which is happening from countries deciding to have digital coins that mimic their physical coin to coins that are not like their physical coin, as this global community starts to talk, they're going to problem solve to make it just like El Salvador adopted Bitcoin to make it easier for their community to transact because they're... Fiat wasn't didn't have the value that it needed. So it needed to figure out another way to have a currency within their community so people could buy food and do other things. But even that hasn't been easy. So I think as, yeah, exactly. So I think as we are all attempting to use this alternative form of currency, it's gonna get easier and easier because people are gonna problem solve it. And then all of a sudden we're gonna realize, I mean, I don't know that I would buy crypto on PayPal, but all of a sudden we're, we we would, um, so no disrespect to PayPal, whoever hears this, but, you know, again, we can use Visa, we can use MasterCard, we can use Venmo, we can use PayPal, you know, there's so many platforms now that are adding cryptocurrency to it, it's going to become easier for the everyday person not even to think about it, but to be able to swap and exchange and do.
0: That makes sense. Well, and I wonder, did you see the story about Starbucks adding NFT, basically digital collectibles, um, to their app? And they were calling them journey badges. And did, did you happen to see that? I
1: haven't. But, you know, the NFT world is no different than the companies that create these reward points. A lot of the gaming communities get reward points. And then that is now being translated as tokens. And then the tokens can get exchanged for something else. So what we called it in one stage is now being flipped over to another stage. But sometimes now we're able to actually translate. Well, it's actually it's I'm thinking it's no different than like United Airlines, your points. You get to exchange it for airfare. Well, that's an actual dollar for dollar type of exchange. So crypto is just kind of going to fall into place there. Just like that.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. What I was going to say is I saw a hilarious tweet that said, shout out to Starbucks for getting teenagers and and moms into NFTs faster than any marketplace ever could, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I thought was completely accurate. But what that led me to think about was, huh, I am a person who believes that the Web 2 to Web 3 transition should be incredibly boring. I don't think that the average person should have to think about it, decide to download a Web3 browser, decide to download a whole bunch of apps, change their systems. I firmly believe that the architecture should quickly and quietly change the same way has times before, the same way we went from Web1 to Web2. I'm sure if you told the original creators of the internet or the original people who were putting up static web pages that one day you'd be able to upload videos or live record a broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> that- it would have been unimaginable. And I think that that architecture has slowly built itself into our lives in the same way that a lot of this architecture will. But what I wanted to frame that this the question around is, how important do you think active education is in people getting to know that versus maybe more passive adoption of systems over time? Obviously, active education would be a lot faster if everyone actively chose to go out and work within these new systems. I have a personal feeling that it's gonna be more so like Starbucks changing its rewards program and nobody really noticing, but now collecting journey badges instead of points. So what do you think about that kind of trade-off in education? I think it has to be multiple
1: levels. Um, It's no different than, you know, as an educator, I have been teaching for about 17 years. And I remember when Common Core came about and there was all this, you know, the pros and cons about having a standardized curriculum. And I, for one, was very positive about that because I wanted to make sure that a child that was in a certain state that they came to Maryland, which is where I am, that they had an equal opportunity of the same education and was learning the same thing. So I think that there's many levels. We have the younger generation who are intuitively in tune with the tech and they grew up with it. And then we have the older generation of which I'll put myself in there. I've had to learn this tech and there are those that don't wanna know it at all. And then there's the in-between, So I think what's going to happen is that as companies, and again, it's all about the power of the dollar, as companies see that it makes sense for them to invest in this because it's going to increase their bottom line, then they're going to educate their consumers in a way that makes it profitable for them. And as a result of more of the traditional companies coming on board, the challenge that I have with that is the... And this is the law hack coming out. I love the fact that in a decentralized world, you have free thinkers talking and communicating and creating. When you start to have traditional businesses, then you also start to have more legislation because there's concern about consumer protection and consumer rights. We're not always very smart in what we do. So people sometimes act and they don't think. And as a result, that's why you need consumer laws, protection laws. And I'm not saying that we don't need protection and I'm not saying that kids don't need protection because they're vulnerable and they don't, they're acting online, not thinking about their identity or what's going on. But I think that we definitely, I love your idea of being smooth and just kind of all of a sudden it kind of is there. I think it's going to happen, but I think that because we have so many different educational levels, not from of college versus not college, but from tech knowing to not tech knowing, you know, for people who might have a cell phone, but maybe don't have an iPad. I know people that don't have computers. So again, I still think that we still need a hybrid community. I think we will always need to have
0: physical fiat to exchange because we might not always
1: be online. And, you know, if there's a power outage, what then?
0: I relate to that heavy because my university had switched to a two-factor authentication when I was in my later years there. And I would be late nights in the library with a phone dying and kicked out of all the educational tools that I needed. It's like, just let me log into Blackboard or Canvas or whatever we were using without my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, exactly. Yes. That was a source of consistent consternation for me as someone who was A jumbled college student with a phone that was constantly dying. Before we get into the last little segment here, I want to just quickly summarize some of the things that we talked about today. We started off with a discussion on wills. Uh, You noted that everyone is collecting assets throughout their lives without anything written down. There's no control over what happens to those assets when the person is no longer living. It comes to crypto, families can be locked out of those assets and then they're just gone forever. They're not benefiting anyone. So wills help prevent that. We also did talk about podcasts and talk shows have to be extremely careful about sharing opinions because they're not advice and opinions cannot be framed as facts do research and assume people are listening to what you say. So share judiciously. That was the lawyer side of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The podcast side of you says sharing knowledge and experiences can help someone else. Education through media is very important. Uh, And the educator in you proved that through the development and creation of Bitcoin Cinderella. There will be more books in that series, but for now it's a fun way to get family, friends, whatever, introduced to the lingo in in an easy to understand kind of story so there's a lot of crypto tools out there but the ease of use is still challenging companies are problem solvers they're going to make it easier for businesses and individuals to transact when it comes to that education gap between actually using crypto tools and knowing that they're out there there's still a long way to go nft companies uh, that are creating any type of digital rewards digital collectibles are just reframing the loyalty point system we already do that with all kinds of, I mean, airline miles, Starbucks rewards, target cashback. There's all kinds of different point systems, connecting them to NFTs. You would thrown out gaming as one of them is just kind of a way to change that backend infrastructure. And what I, I contest should be a very boring change. We talked about that transition and how we're going to get people to kind of jump on board and whether it's going to be up to companies to actually roll this out and make it easy to use or individuals to kind of step forth and get the education. And as you pointed out, there's people at all levels doing all kinds of things. So there will be different approaches to how we actually get people onto the blockchain. When it makes sense for the bottom dollar, companies will educate their consumers on how to use the tools that they've built. And education is going to come in all forms to help with people who are digital natives versus people who are not as comfortable in tech or not as natural. So that is a little bit of what we talked about. The last section, i like for you to take a pause and look back on everything that you've done in your career. There's been all kinds of different twists, turns, paths that you've had uh, that led you into crypto and where you are today. So what would you like to tell your younger self about getting into the crypto industry and being where you are today and being successful?
1: Well, you know, it's really funny. Crypto didn't exist when I was a kid. And yet again, the law had a lot of the laws that are being
0: applied
1: didn't exist or existed way before crypto and couldn't predict what crypto was. So, um, but in terms of my younger self, I feel really blessed. I think that I'm doing everything that I kind of thought I would when I was a child. I know a lot of people can't say that. Granted, when I was a child, now I haven't done this, but um, I'm sort of going in that direction. One of the things I wanted to do as a child was be a research scientist, I never, I'm not a research scientist, but I'm doing research, you know, so maybe not in the bio area, but I'm doing research. I also knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but I thought that I had to be a lawyer in order to be the president of the United States. Well, I'm not going to be the president of the United States, but, um, again, never never, Jackie, we don't know. Yeah, (laughs) no, I have no interest in that. I think I can do a lot more behind the scenes than in the front. Um, but I am, I did end up being a lawyer because I knew I could make a difference and I wanted to help people. And this is something I also always share with my daughter too, is if something is making you happy, do it. If it's not stop. And so a lot of my career path twists and turns have because I've been listening to myself and thinking that would be fun. Let me try that. And so I will step out and do something and then, sometimes it's something I realize, oh, no, I shouldn't have done that. And I'll stop. Or sometimes I'll realize, wow, that was fun. Let me do another one. Just like, you know, the first book that was a lot of fun for me to write. And I realized, I think I want to do another one. So again, I feel really lucky that I've been given these chances and opportunities to work with kids, work with adults and help others. And so I just, you know, I welcome everyone who comes across my path. If I can help you, that's basically what my purpose is because i feel it's like the law of return give back and and you'll get even if you don't always realize that you're you're receiving
0: jackie thank you so much for coming on where can people find you follow you learn more about your work i'm going to link the book in the show notes but anything else yeah
1: no i appreciate that um definitely um it's really easy to find me just you know Cryptomom2.com is the website, but that's my handle name that I use on a variety of platforms from Twitter to Facebook to LinkedIn. And Jackie Cooper is my name, so if you can't, or Jacqueline Cooper, so you can also look for me there. But reach out, let me know that you're listening, um, and that you heard me on, you know, the Meta Woman podcast because I think that it's always great to um to hear from people i know i was at the nft expo verse in july and i had people come up saying i've heard you before and i thought wow that's wild you know because again you don't always think that's what i'm saying you don't always realize that people are listening to you when you put yourself out there and uh it's it's always a great thing though to uh to say hi to people
0: it definitely is i've gotten the voice the voice recognition thing as well. And it's so funny um, people say that. But for all the listeners out there, be sure to leave those five star ratings and reviews, mention what a lovely voice I have, and that you keep listening to me. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. And you can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a 5-star review and tell your friends, family and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta
1: Woman.